It's always an honor to preach on special days like this. Father's Day, I'll be preaching to myself this morning as a father, but the sermon is really for the whole church. For three weeks now, I've been preaching on storms. I showed you three different types of storms, and so far, I've spoke on all three types. This morning, fulfilling the third. The first one, I talked about how the devil brings a storm. When persecution was coming against Timothy. Last week, and I told you this three weeks ago, three weeks ago. Last week, I showed you how some storms come and we have no control. I showed you the natural storm of being on the sea when Jesus was there and the disciples, but how the storm was used to get them to the next step. And we talked about there not so much the storm, but how long was the storm gonna last? That's two of the parts of storms that come to us. Today, I wanna do part three, as I've told you already. And these are the storms that we bring on ourselves. They're not the devil. Storms that we bring on ourselves, and I'm guilty. I've been there. So when I say I preach to myself, I say up front, many hard lessons. So today, that's what I want to talk about. Let's go to 1 Samuel, please, chapter 31. 1 Samuel, chapter 31. At first, it was seen like the message will be strong, but if you allow me to set it up to help you, then at the end, I want to show you how God always gives us a second chance. A second chance. Anybody ever needed a second chance like me in this house? 1 Samuel chapter 31, I've never shared this text. And it is a summary of Saul's life. But the reason I chose it, I felt led of the Spirit also because it involves the downfall of his children. If I do anything right, I want my children to know that I live before them as a godly man. Not perfect, but as a godly man. And I want them to have a legacy. Not to go to the church all their life and not have a legacy. I want to leave them a trail that they can follow. To love and to encourage and to be blessed. Let's go to scripture, please. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from the Philistines and fell slain at Mount Geboa. The Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadad, and Malchishua. I did that good there, praise God. I practiced that once or twice. Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. There's two reasons why he asked this. First, he does not want to be killed by an uncircumcised Philistine. Secondly, he doesn't want to be made a mockery. I will show you before this sermon is over that both of his requests were denied. They were denied. They were not fulfilled. They tried to be fulfilled, but they were denied. This said to his armor bearer, draw your sword, thrust it in there. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Could even do that right, we learn in scripture. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him, verse six. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. 
I want to preach to you the third part of a series that I outlined three weeks ago. When storms come, today we want to talk about self-inflicted storms and how we navigate through them. I believe God is going to touch us. While we go to the Lord in prayer, before you pray, one of my dear friends, Pastor Joseph Norris, he is pastoring the church in my hometown. For all of our foster parents, all of our, our child caregivers in this house, Joseph and his wife, Rebecca, are doing a fabulous job at Society Hill. The first child that they had in their home, the foster child that came to them, that eventually had to go back, this past week, he killed himself. And the family and the church is devastated right now. They have asked me, along with their family, to bring that to your attention today. At this time, as I pray and you pray for me to preach, I would like to almost call a solemn assembly to pray for this family, to pray for their church, and to also urge every one of you in this house, as the book of James said, pure religion, undefiled, is those that take care of the widows and the orphans. That was not the high point of Christian faith. That was the starting point of Christian faith. You understand? So every child that comes to our church and every child we come in contact with, may we be the arms and feet of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? amen? Would you stretch your hand this way, please? Brother Tony Hester, would you pray over me? And would you pray for this need that is so heavy in our state? be seated. Three weeks ago I told you that I would be preaching on this. And so today I want to share what I believe is a divine on time word. Storms come three different ways. We can add different levels, really three ways. There's natural storms. Storms that are just a product of life. Storms that happen on a daily basis that come to us and we as believers have to navigate through them. Then there's satanic storms, the enemy that brings persecution, tries to destroy the movement of God as we saw with Timothy. Storms that come against the body of Christ that we know that this is a devilish attack, a satanic attack. It comes to us by principalities, wickedness in high places, powers that have set itself up against the very knowledge and essence of God. To me, though, those may be the hardest to bring down, but to me, they're not the hardest because they're easily identified. We can see a satanic attack. When the missionaries recently were on a mission field and were attacked, we understood, yes, the natural scope of that country, but this was also a satanic attack to stop the voice of God moving forward. But the hardest storm to deal with, I believe, are storms that we bring on ourselves. Storms that we open the door through situations of the flesh, natural things, things that deal with the world. And to be honest with you, I'm a little fed up with blaming the devil. I think we give the devil way too much credit. We get stopped by the law for speeding and we go on Facebook or somewhere, y'all pray for me. The devil's trying to kill me. I was going 95 and a 55, the devil's after me today. 
I, I didn't know the devil was Dale Earnhardt. I had no idea that devil, that spirit of speed demon came all over you. Those are not the works of the enemy. Those are the works of ourselves. We bring on ourselves. If we have outside relationships that are not biblical, that's our fault. It's not the devil's fault. He may have created the, the, the temptation of the lust through the downfall of man, but those are things that we bring on ourselves. There is no better scripture, I believe, to identify that or no life that we can look at in the life of Saul. Saul of the Old Testament was a man that was raised up when the people of God wanted a king, when they should have been pleasant and happy with God. They wanted to be like everybody else. And so the desire of a king, God gave them Saul, a humble man, but a man of great stature, great looks, and a man that really did not desire to be king. But something happened over the process of time. The man that was humble, asking God, me? You want to use me? He became elevated, the Bible said, in his own eyes. And over time, the man that started out as a healthy man, over time, that man became cynical. He was full of fear, paranoia. This man became jealous. This man tried to kill his own son, tried to kill his son-in-law. This man killed his own men. And before his life was over, he was away from God. He tried to conjure up spirits and found himself even in the presence of witches trying to find out which way to go. The man that started out so good with God in the end found himself so far away from God that scripture just told us he tried to kill himself. How do you go from being God's right man for the right time at the right season to now being the man who falls upon a sword? Man went through his life, never taking ownership, blaming everybody else, and then by the end of it, there's a sad story about the life of Saul. When you get to chapter 31, he has two requests. At this time, it reads almost 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. It reads, you can even go to Chronicles, but it's almost like two stories that are playing out together. You have the life of David and the life of Saul. One is elevated, one is abased. One is fearful, one is triumphant. One is recognized, the other one is guarding sheep. One is in the palace, one is in the sheep field. But it's almost like they read together because while one was elevated, another was made abased. But scripture is clear. Those that exalt themselves shall be abased. But those that take the low seat shall be exalted. And it reads together almost as a parallel of two lives. It shows us what to do and what not to do. And if you're wise this morning, you would take heed to what the scripture is saying. Not what Pastor Nolan is saying. Not what a man is saying. But what the word of God is saying. When we find Saul now in chapter 31, he knows his life is over. He is now at Geboa. He has made himself up on a high place and he's looking out of the valley. He has nowhere else to run. He has nobody else to blame. He has blamed everybody possible according to scripture. Now he looks out, he has nobody to blame. The sad part about this and the reason I say this and then preach it the first Sunday is because of Father's Day. Now he will watch his own sons in a valley below, be destroyed, not for their actions, but for his actions. Not for what they did. Jonathan was a God man. 
a good man who made a covenant with another God man who protected David when Saul was trying to kill David. Now Saul is elevated, looking down, and he realizes my time is up, my game is over, I can't do it anymore. And then he looks to his armor bearer and says, why don't you kill me? I got two requests. Don't let me die to the uncircumcised and don't let them make a mockery of my life. He tries to do that job, but even then, that is not fulfilled. If you read the first chapter of the next book, now Saul is laid there. He is a picture to all of us of a sad way for a king to die. He had every advantage to leave a legacy, leave a life of godliness, to leave a lineage for his boys to follow. His three sons should have had a, a legacy there to follow and look after it shows us, just like Achan today, how one leader can pull down the whole family. One person can make a mixed step like Achan and destroy the whole family. Now the sad part is, I've gotta preach this properly. I would love to tell you that this is a natural storm, but it's not. I would love to tell you that this is a satanic storm, and you could say by sin that it is satanic, and I can go there, but still sin is made when we make a choice to sin. Anybody listening? Nobody pushes you so far into sin that you can't get out. When Joseph was tempted by a beautiful woman, the man left his coat and ran out of there, but he kept his integrity and his anointing. Nobody pushes you to do that. This is a man who thought too much of himself, who became jealous of another man, and the next thing you know, this man falls by the wayside. I'll tell you one more time, I told you three weeks ago that this was coming to you. And I want you to hear what God has to say for you today. Saul's death was not by chance. This chapter was a storm in his life that he brought upon himself. We love to blame the devil for everything, but it's not the devil's fault all the time. If I get mad and I say an ugly word to my wife, that's not the devil's fault. If, if, if I push my children away, that's not the devil's fault. He may have actions in my life. He may have brought things to me that I don't know how to deal with. But in the end, I'm still the man of my house. Come on, dads, are you listening today? If you don't desire to have that relationship with your family, your boys, your girls, we can't always blame others and blame the devil for this. We have to take heed ourselves and own what we have to own so God can change us and use us for his glory. We love to find fault with somebody else. We seek others who will agree with us. Saul, time and time again, went to people that would tell him what he wanted to hear, but not God's man. And that's why he tried to kill not only God's man, but David as well, because he refused wise counsel. He would go to the Philistines and go to the witches to find out what he wanted to hear. There's three things that really caused Saul to fall. Listen closely. First of all, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, he stepped outside of his calling. He began to offer sacrifices to God because he thought that the men of God were not doing their duty on time. And God punished him for that. Why, Brother Nolan, shouldn't that be a good thing? No, it, because that was not his place. He stepped outside of his calling. And the Bible said every time God told him what he lost, what he lose in 1 Samuel 13, he lost his kingdom. God said, now your kingdom will have an end. 1 Samuel 13. See, that's the storm, folks, we bring on ourselves. There's consequences to our actions. Secondly, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God told him to kill all the Amalekites. 
kill every one of them. Kill their mama, kill the baby, kill the dog, kill Red Rover, doesn't matter who they are, kill them. Why? Because what you don't kill will rise back up. You listening? That's a storm we bring on ourselves when we get rid of all of it but that little bit of leaven, not knowing that the little leaven will spoil the whole bunch. What did God tell him then? His consequence was not the kingdom. First consequence, God took his kingdom or would take his kingdom. Second consequence, God said, now I reject you. First consequence was kingdom. Second, now he's rejected by God. To me, his third fatal flaw is in 1 Samuel chapter 28. When people who know the voice of God begin to interact with witches and forces of darkness, we are then saying to God, we do not trust you nor trust your voice. We will trust the voice of others. And because of that, his consequence there was the death of himself and also the death of his sons. Folks, can I tell you today, sometimes we bring storms on ourselves. I, I want you to hear me before you think the pastor Noah is preaching a hard message. My greatest storms are storms I brought on myself. Is anybody else, am I the only one in the boat? So before you leave and say, Pastor Noah was preaching mean uh, today at me, I just said, that, I said, I brought the worst storms on myself. This is what Saul had done. Today I want to help every father and every person in this house. I want us to stop bringing storms on ourselves. We can withstand every satanic storm. We can withstand every natural storm. But the hardest storms for a family to deal with is storms that we bring on our own self. When dad leaves, when mom leaves, when mom has an affair, when dad walks away, these storms are so hard that they are devastating to the next generations. First of all, I want to show you this. How can we prevent self-made storms? First of all, we follow all of God's word. Not selective theology. We like selective theology. We like the word when it meets what I think it should meet. When, when, the, when the word of God will make my case, I pull out the word of God. But when the word of God goes against my case, I put it up. Saul was selective. Even when he will argue back to God, he will pull certain scriptures. He will even try to twist it. And that's when God says, listen, you're telling me that you are sacrificing to honor me? What did God tell him? Obedience is better than sacrifice. He was trying to manipulate God. God, the only thing I was doing was doing your work, God. I was just doing what you, they weren't there, God. And what did God tell him? I didn't call you to do that. I didn't tell you to do that. I put you in your position because that's what I made you for. Not to step over. The greatest storms are the ones we bring on ourselves when we do not heed and hear God's word. Why? Because we think God's word is inefficient. Well, you know, God's word doesn't apply to the situation. That's a bunch of baloney. My brother, no, the word of God is a little outdated for transgender issues and identity issues. No, sir, my friend. I don't know who told you that, what college or what professor. You should have been at camp meeting this week when we, that man for four, four mornings tore up, I, I, completely 
tore down uh, Darwinism. It was amazing. We sat there as the word of God came to life. There is nothing in this lifetime that God's word and God's spirit cannot deal with. If we bring it to God in a spirit of love and a spirit of compassion, God will work it out if we follow the word of God. Come on, give God praise if you believe that. There's scripture to handle your marriage. There's scripture to handle relationships. There's scripture to handle church issues. There's scripture to handle forgiveness. There's scripture to handle money. There's scripture to handle every situation in your life. But what we have to do is not cherry pick the word of God. We leave it in context and we let the word of God speak to us because if we reject God's word and follow man's wisdom, we're gonna bring a greater storm upon ourselves. Recently, I met with somebody who was outside their proper relationship with their spouse. And it hurt me because I know I will lose their friendship to tell them, this is not your wife. That was tough, folks. But that's the word of God. We just can't rubber stamp everything anymore in this wicked hour. We must do it in love. We must do it in grace. But we've got to stay in God's word. We must be kind to the downcast. We must go the extra mile when challenged. We must defend the innocent at all costs. We cannot be self-absorbed by our desires. We cannot manipulate the word of God. We must follow God's word above man's opinion every single time. If not, we will create a storm. Two, only three points. Two, stop resisting wise counsel. Come on now. I've got some men in my life that are speaking to me. Sometimes I love what they tell me. Other times they say, you made a mistake here. That's hard to hear. That's hard. A couple weeks ago, I met on a situation with one of my mentors. I said, I did this. He said, you made a mistake. You should have done this. And I said, and at first, I want to be combative. I said, why? And I started arguing back with him. And I felt myself, I'm arguing against the very man that God put in my life who's trying to help me. And here I am being like Saul, telling him he's wrong. I'm not saying let everybody speak to you, but some people ought to have the right to speak truth to you. Oh, Brother Nolan, how do I know that these are the right men? Because they don't always tell you what you want to hear. If they always are on your side, they are not the right people for your life. If I come to you every time and I say, Herschel, Jessica's lost her mind, and he said to me, she just don't know what she's got. I say, Herschel, you speak truth one more time. I praise God. I go back to Herschel the next day. I say, you know what? She came in and my food wasn't hot. Herschel, that, I worked hard. I visited 3,800 people yesterday for the North Walhalla Church of God. Herschel looks at me and says, you know what? She don't know what she got, does she? And every, every time I go to Herschel, he's always coming to my side about Jessica. Can I tell you something? He may be my friend, but he's not wise counsel. Come on now, don't leave me by myself. That's the, that's the word. It's not like I'm preaching outside the word. Sooner or later, he's going to say, now listen, there's another side of this deal. What did she do today? Oh, Herschel, she didn't do much. She just got up at 6 o'clock, kids ready, got their lunch ready, and went and taught at James M. Brown, and came back home, went to choir practice, then came to church, and went out to eat with me. Then we had to go over stuff like that, and she was done by 11.45 at night. So, see what I'm saying? The men in my life that I now lean on the most one is, is Brother Darty in Tennessee. Most of the time, he doesn't agree with me. Most of the time, he's hard on me. Sometimes I don't even want to take his phone call. 
He'll say stuff like this. What's wrong with you? Did God call you? Get up. I want to hear your belly aching. And I'm going, can you not just let me cry for five minutes? Seriously, I'm not, I'm not joking, I'm being serious. Can you not just let me vent for five minutes? And he'll say, yes, but how long you want to do it? Because the longer you stay doing that, you're not doing what God's called you to do at that church. And so I'm telling you, we need wise counsel. Let me go back to scripture. Saul resisted anyone who opposed him. Anyone who opposed him when his own son opposed him. Try to kill him. That's scripture. When David opposed him, he chased after him. When his own men opposed him, he killed his own men trying to get somewhere else. Anybody who opposed him, he resisted because he felt like they were his enemy. Jonathan was not his enemy. Jonathan was his son. And Jonathan was telling the truth. And he didn't want wise counsel. What leads us to resist wise counsel? Insecurity. Insecurity. We heard this at camp meeting. Insecurity always breeds a place where you won't have unwise counsel. Now listen, I told you three weeks ago that this, this message was coming. I've got to preach this if, if it only helped myself. Insecurity tempts us because we get defensive and resentful because we're insecure about what's going on. Pastor, have you been there? Absolutely. A lot of times I'm insecure around my peers and that's tough. I'm guilty of that. How, how else are we stop wise counsel? When we arrogantly assume that my plans are always better than everybody else's plans. Recently, we made a decision a few years ago when I was on a board, and you won't know what this is about, so don't even try to figure it out. And I, I think I made the wrong decision now. Even though I had wise counsel then, it was my fault. I can't blame anybody. This has been probably six, seven years ago now. This is my fault. It was my fault. I can't blame anybody else for that because at that time I thought I was right. And I look back now, hopefully a few years wiser, and I go, you should have listened more. When we reject this wise counsel, we push away great leadership and we destroy it. Today, I want you to hear the word of God. Close off everything else. What is God saying to you? Not what pastor's saying to you today. You may not like the sermon. You may say it's too strong for a Father's Day message. That's okay. The, 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 cut me out. That's fine. But what's the word of God say? Can we not sit on the word of God? Can we not go back to the word of God for every issue? Can we not go back to God's word? Thirdly, my last point, we need to understand who you are in God. You are a gifted part of the family of God. I'm not rebuking you. I'm telling you, you are part of the family of God. But I want to stress to you, you are a part, not the whole. Are you listening? Saul had his job. Samuel had his job. David had his job. You are a part, but you're not the only part. You're not the, not the, the perfect part, the specific part. You're not the most important part. And you're not the only right part. You're what Paul said in Corinthians. TJ's the ear. Sister Hester's the head. Tony's the foot. And so on. But together we do what? We make up the body of Christ. It doesn't mean he's bigger than her. It doesn't mean that. It means together though, they make up the body of Christ. What Saul didn't realize was he was a part, but not the whole. This morning, every one of us make up the body of Christ. Dead. I want you to go back to your home today and be a God man. I don't want you to be a Saul and watch your kingdom fall. 
I don't want you ever to see your sons die on the battlefield of life because of doors that you open. I don't want to see your kids struggle with the issues of the world and issues of the flesh because you didn't shut that door. Pastor Nolan, have you ever struggled with those? Absolutely. My family has struggled for generations with those issues. Alcoholism runs in my family. Folks, we used to make it in the woods behind my house. You understand? It was then passed down in different ways to my brother than to myself where it was sold on high levels in a town called Sherrill, South Carolina. It wasn't to the blood of Jesus Christ came till that thing was broken off of my family. But can I tell you, I've got to keep that door closed. Chasing women, womanizing, that runs in my family. I always told God, I, I'm thankful that you didn't make me any prettier than I am. <laughs> I love the Kevin preachers. They're all so pretty. Their hair's fixed and the jeans are skinny. And I'm not hating on them. I, I, I got what I got. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> but I've got to keep that door closed. I can't open that door back up. I've got to have wise counsel. I've got to have my wife around me saying, that's not your wife. You're not going to be riding all over Wahala with her. That's, that's what she does. She does that quite often. She'll say, let me see your phone. Who are you texting? It's a lady in the church. This is a situation. Here, you need to look at this. You say, Pastor, that's taking this a little far. Listen, I got six minutes. That's taking a little far. No, it's not. No, it's not. I want to take wise counsel. Wise counsel. I've told you before in Columbia, there was a lady that came to our church just to bring destruction and to pursue me, believe that or not. Four different women at four different times knocked on my door and said, Pastor, God woke me up last night. That lady is a witch. She has come to this church. Four different women after going out of prayer, one was my wife, you want to count her, she just wanted to fight, I think, but you understand what I'm saying. But three other women out of prayer came and said, this woman is here. The first one I said, uh, I don't care about that lady, oh, pff, whatever. And then the second one came, I said, okay, God, what are you trying to say? And when the third one came, I said, okay, God, my heart is pure on this lady. But evidently, she is trying to bring harm when three different people out of three different places come on three different times to tell me the same thing that either I can be stubborn and say, ah, you know what, no, it don't matter, it don't matter. Or I can submit to the word of God and say, you know what, maybe I need to hush and listen. That's only Neil Nolan. You're part of the body of Christ. I want you to achieve success. I want everybody in this house to be successful. I want you to be fulfilled. I want you to go after God. You say, but pastor, sometimes it's not fair. True, I don't think Jesus was fair all the time. Because if I would have been the ones that didn't get to go on the Mount Transfiguration, I probably would ask him, why can't I go? Right? I don't know if it's about fairness. I think it's about righteousness. And I want you to be righteous and I want you to achieve everything that God has called you to do. I want you to be exalted but not above measure. I want you to have grace that is sufficient. I want you to have the grace to go through whatever you've got to go through. But I don't want you to bring down destruction. I don't want you to ignore wise counsel. I don't want you to ignore the word of God nor the spirit of God. I plead with this body today. Do not bring storms upon yourself to cause your own downfall. Because this is how I close. Because when Saul refused everything that God sent him, at the end of his life, he has nobody left to blame. He dies only with his armor bearer. Then another uncircumcised man comes 
and finishes off what happens in 2 Samuel, then word gets back to David. What did Saul not want? Two things he didn't want. He says, I don't want to die by the hands of an uncircumcised man. Read the next chapter and see what happens. Secondly, he did not want to be embarrassed. He did not want to be like Samson. Read what happens. He is embarrassed as it's sent throughout all the land, the destruction of this God-man. At the end of his life, at the end of his life, he falls down and he is destroyed. I don't want that to be you. But here's the good news today. And I close with this. You serve a God of second chances. Now, I'm not going to preach a Father's Day message and leave you like that. When he falls, but God wasn't finished with his house. Why? Because God made a covenant from one God-man to the next God-man. Let me preach this and I close. You say, Pastor, you were mean to me this morning. If that's your case, if you leave out this door and say that, then I was preaching to you because you're taking offense to the word of God. Here's what I want to tell you. God is a God of second chances. David and Jonathan made a covenant that protect each other no matter what. And what happened, Rory, after that, Kevin, is this. Come here, Colin. Come here. Come on, come on, sir. I, I want you to walk, and I mean this, I mean this in the right way, almost as a crippled. I don't want you to walk straight. I want you to walk as almost if your legs are broke. If you, would, if you wouldn't do that with me. David made a covenant with Jonathan. And David said, your blood is my blood. Your father may kill me. Brother Nolan, that's blood. You, families don't go against each other. Jonathan warned David that his father wanted to kill him when he shot an arrow and told the lad, keep running. David knew that was the sign. Jonathan protected David. But what happens at the end? God is a God of second chances. And I come and let somebody know in your family today, you may feel like you failed as a father. God is a God of second chances. You may say, Neil, my daddy and mama taught me. I look at Brother Joe and Sister Nancy. What great parents. You know, people, parents like using them by example, not about their children, but as an example, what godly parents right there. And if a person wouldn't listen to them, they could say, you know what, what did I do wrong? It's not you sow the right seed. Why? Because God is a God of second chances. All of a sudden, when David takes charge, the first thing he does, he says, is there anybody in the house Saul?" I can show mercy to. David didn't get offended. David didn't kill all his family. David didn't get mad and play games. David fell on his face and said this, I'm gonna rise above it and I'm gonna take care of my friend and I'm gonna rally around him and I'm gonna help him and I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna do something to bless him. And he looks around, he says, is anybody left? And somebody raises their hand and says, he has a son by the name of Mephibosheth and when his daddy, granddaddy fell at Gilboa, Bible said a lady dropped him and his legs are crippled. David said, go get me that boy. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of covenant. God is a God of grace. God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God of, God is a God of mercy. He's not willing that any should perish in this house. I come to let somebody know that's how I feel this morning. That's what God has done. I've caught some storms. Oh my, 
But every time God has shown me mercy, he is a good, good father today to help us. Word gets back and David says, go get me that boy. That boy don't know what's about to happen. What should happen is this. He should be killed. I need you to be serious. I'm not joking. I want you to walk as if you're crippled. Would you do that for me? He's crippled. I want you to if possible. He's showing back now as somebody who has He shows back up at David's house and he's got absolutely nothing. He shows back up knowing I'm about to die for the grandfather. I know one more time that God is a God of mercy. Can somebody say amen in this house? Listen. Because sooner or later you're going to make some mistakes. And sooner or later you're going to do some things wrong. And like me, sooner or later, you're going to have a bad thought or something's going to happen. And you're going to feel like God can't do it. You may bring a storm upon yourself and think there's no way out. But I come to tell somebody like me, I feel like Gilligan sometimes. I feel like nobody can come to my rescue. But I know a water walker today. I still know a God who's a God of the st- who can walk on the storms and walk on the sea. I know a God who can redeem anybody in this house if you would just let him. You know what happens? My feeble shelf comes back up. TJ, move my stuff right there. I'm going to preach. All of a sudden, when he shows back up, what should happen is this. He should die. I'll tell you what, sit right here so they can see you. My goodness. Sit right here so they can see you. <laughs> he should die. Brother, no, I made a mistake. He's a God of second chances. He's crippled. But David doesn't kill him. David says, come into my house and put your feet up under my table. Why is that, Pastor? Because it speaks of provision for tomorrow and it speaks up of our covering for your past. The table says, I am enough God to supply your need for tomorrow, but I'm also enough God to cover up your mistakes from the past. The cover, the table hid the, fa- the failure of the grandfather. The table underneath covered his brokenness, but the table on top provided a necessity for tomorrow. I come to preach to some people you feel like you've been dropped. First, I've come to preach to some people you feel like Saul, you brought some storms on yourself. Can I tell you, God's a God of second chances. And secondly, I come and preach to a few Mephibosheths who you think like it's over. I can't make it. There's nothing for tomorrow. Can I tell you this morning? Pull your feet up to the king's table. Let God cover you. Let God bless you. Let God provide for you. Let God bring a healing. Let God do it. But listen to me. You've got to make the choice. You've got to make the choice tonight to do it. And if you will, God will help you. And raise you up and do some mighty things in your life. Say amen in this house. Would you stand with me all over the house, please? Would you stand all over the house? Second Samuel 9 provides a way out. Listen, listen, listen. We shouted about when Timothy went through the storm. I walked out of here. I had people tell me that's the greatest sermon I ever heard. I was humbled. We laughed, we cried. Last week we shouted all over the place. Some even ran pews. It's a great day. I knew this morning would not be a shouting message. But I can't bypass the third part of the storm. Listen to me, you can make it. 
This is not a hard word. It's an encouraging word. You can make it. You're going to make it. In Jesus' name, be still. Hear from God. Not man, from God. Let the Holy Ghost speak to you today. And let God raise you back up. Let you raise your family up. Dad, granddad, mom, wife. It's not over. He's a God of second chances today. Father, I preached your word in prayer in the night, God, hoping that this word would be received in such a way that would bring about a blessing to the body of Christ. Father, I love you today. I know that this word is going forth and will not return void in Jesus' name. How can a man of God at the end of his life be consorting with witches at Endor? It shows you how far we can drift from God. Father, let your will be done in this house today in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed.